Listen to this. This is, this is marvelous. 2 Corinthians chapter four, 3 and 4 says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, now lest you lest you see that and miss the point of what he's trying to make, he continues in chapter 4 and he says this, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. God has put within us a responsibility to carry his word, but he puts it in, if you continue reading, jars of clay. Jars of clay are broken vessels. They're essentially worthless. They're in the back of the home and they have no value to them. And God takes these jars of clay and he transforms us. He puts us back together. We're held together. And then he puts this marvelous ministry inside of us to carry his word and the message to the world. This, this, this valuable, this priceless message to the world. And he uses us He is over our life. And yes, you are broken, but he tells things that are broken to be healed and they're whole because he's over your life. So I don't know if you're here this morning and all you can hear are the, the words of the enemy that want to devalue you and tell you you cannot be used by God. It's lies because God chooses to use things that are not valuable to show his surpassing power and glory. So the more you discredit yourself, the more you make yourself useful for God. You can't get away from it. So we're going to go and bow our knee, say thank you to this wonderful God, and ask him to help us this morning, even now this morning, with our hearts and our minds to understand his word. Heavenly Father, would you, would you help these jars of clay, all of us broken? We are only whole because you have made us whole. We are all broken, born broken, and we stay broken. We stay condemned, condemned already on our way to facing your wrath and your punishment because we have chosen to reject you and your son. But for those who listen and turn, there is immediate and sure salvation. Father, would you be with the one this morning that's on the fence? The one who's rejected, the one who's running, the one who's questioning. Would you strengthen all of our hearts and would you draw them to you and save them by the power of your spirit? And Would you strengthen our hearts with the reality of your wisdom that is everywhere? that is helping us and sustaining us. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Maybe seated, kids. You can scurry on out to Summit Kids. We love you. Have a good time. Everyone else, take their Bible. Turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Summer in the Psalms. And now we are in the Proverbs for the month of August. We have four weeks. Four weeks and it is not enough time for this wonderful book. I've had three weeks to uh, preach from the book of Proverbs. And at first, 
at first I was looking through the book trying and praying, God, what do you want me to do? And maybe looking for some, some un, unconnected three sermons that would be you know, helpful. And as I did, I, I found myself saying, I can't do that. I can't just jump into the book of Proverbs. And so God led me to go through in three weeks chapter one of Proverbs, which interestingly enough breaks into three sections. So let me give you a little recap of what we've learned. The first seven verses, we looked at the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. Our theme verse in the book of Proverbs chapter one is verse seven. It's the the theme for the whole book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in one one way you could do this is take that verse and apply it to the whole book of Proverbs and read the book of Proverbs, seeing it as an effort to prove that verse seven is true. The beginning of wisdom, the, the, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. So that was the first sermon. We got to start there. You can't get on the path of wisdom except through the starting path. You can't just jump over on it. You have to begin with the fear of the Lord. Those who do not fear the Lord are not wise, are not on the path of wisdom. We learned in the first uh, sermon that wisdom belongs to God, that Jesus Christ is the personification of wisdom. The book, uh, the New Testament tells us that when Jesus came, he became to us the wisdom of God. It was like the wisdom of God that we knew about showed up in human form, and here he is, Jesus Christ. So those who reject Jesus reject wisdom. Wisdom is not just being smart. There are plenty of people who do not have degrees, who didn't go to school, who do not uh, have, are, are not articulate, but are sage in their advice and their wisdom. Because wisdom is more than just having information packed here. Having just information packed here will lead more to arrogance, not wisdom. Knowledge is important. Wisdom is important. And then chapter one says that instruction or repute proof, rebuke is important. And all three of those things go hand in hand in creating the person that is wise. The second sermon we learned about the protection of wisdom. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, but then immediately wisdom shows up as this father and this mother trying to protect their son from what? Or from who? From the call of sinners which is now the the whole experience of life from the moment you're born to the day you die is this enticement of sinners everywhere. All of these voices all over the place trying to say, no, this is the way you should come and lead your life with the promise of material gain and wealth at the expense of others. And we learned that that is not true, that really what it is is they are setting a trap for themselves for their own lives. And if you run with them, you will be off the path of wisdom, on the path of foolishness, and your life will be in trouble. Today, we're gonna finish chapter one, and we're gonna see the salvation of wisdom. Wisdom protects you from the call of sinners, but wisdom saves you through its own call. So you have in chapter one, this picture being set up of this opportunity you have in life. Which voice are you going to listen to? Within the world are people calling. Wisdom is calling as well. But do you hear wisdom? And, and do you hear wisdom? And do you turn at wisdom's voice? This is how wisdom is trying to save us. The salvation of wisdom comes through its call. Or let me be more specific. It's a gospel call. It's preaching. 
It's evangelistic effort. And you're going to see here in verses 20 through 33, wisdom gets pictured as someone crying in the streets, preaching, telling you to listen and to repent. Now, let me give you a little insight because my goal is this. Since we have only four weeks in the book of Proverbs, it's not to give you everything. It's, it's my goal would be to equip you. If you understand chapter one uh, well, then you can go into the rest of the book and be ready to always remember what was set up in chapter one and read the book with the mind of Christ as the mind of someone who already has been made wise through Jesus, through the fear of the Lord, and then read the book as it's meant to, as Proverbs that are meant to help those who are walking the path of, through the fear of the Lord. In the wisdom of Christ, these things will be open and revealed to you. And the Proverbs have many things, many things to help you with your life, from your relationships to work to, to all types of area. The wisdom of God can be seen in all of life. So here's the question that I want to answer this morning. What is wisdom trying to save you from? How is wisdom trying to save you? And then what is it trying to save you from? Got a few more questions in here we'll answer as we go on. But this is the basic premise of this chapter. So let's read it all together. I just want to read through 20 through 33, and then we'll start back at the top. So hear the book of Proverbs. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way And have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure. And will be at ease without dread of disaster. How is wisdom trying to save us? So you get the poetic picture here. Wisdom is first introduced as a woman. Don't overthink that. If you read through the chapter 9, you'll see that this idea of wisdom and folly both being presented as a woman. And here's why it's doing that. Because women hold beauty. And women are attractive. And so you're going to see both lady wisdom and lady folly trying to attract you to them. And they all use completely diametrically opposing uh, ways of doing that. Whichever one is more attractive to you is the one you will follow. This is why wisdom gets presented already as a woman 
You go into five, six, and seven, it's presented as a seductress woman, like a prostitute who, who lures men away to their own death. And then chapter eight, you see that lady wisdom. Yeah, she also has her house. She also has her feast. She also has the, the servants that she sends out to call you in, but it's never to destroy you. It's always to give you something beautiful and to give you life. Who are you going to listen to? Wisdom's calling. Who are you going to listen to? Every single day, you're, you're, you're presented with opportunities to, to follow the attractiveness of folly, which is deceptive and deceiving, leading to death, or, or be led to the attractiveness of wisdom, which may not, on the surface, be appealing to your flesh. That's why it's like parents who are trying to tell their teenager the way they should go. Like we learned last week and it's kind of, you get the eye roll, but then they look around at their friends and their friends are like, yeah, let's go, let's do this. And like what wells up inside of you is like, yes, in the flesh, passions being pulled away into folly, into their own destruction. Wisdom is trying to save us and she's trying to save us through her call, the gospel call. So first look at this. How is wisdom trying to save us? I want to give you a few things. First this, by calling out to you. An effort to call out to you. Verses 20 through 21. Look at the description. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. You can see the picture. Wisdom is calling out everywhere you go. But look what she is competing with. In the streets. What's in the streets? Many other different people. In the markets, what's in the street? Many other different people. What else? Her voice. She raises her voice. There's all types of other voices around. It goes even further to clarify this. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out in the midst of all the other voices around you. And at the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. In every single one of these places, different types of conversations are going on through judicial conversations to business dealings to just one-on-one interactions in the streets with strangers, all of this. And then the book of Proverbs is going to introduce all these different types of scenarios as you go on. Every single one, guess what? Wisdom is there. So what does this mean? It means that wisdom calls ubiquitously, which means this, seemingly everywhere, which means this, no one can ignore the call of wisdom, face the death of folly, and at the end of their life say, I didn't know Wisdom is trying to save you by calling out to you. Do you recognize and hear the voice of wisdom? Are you paying attention to it? Wisdom is calling out to you. And and the picture is this, like a preacher on the streets trying to get people's attention and warn them. How, How many times... Have you noticed someone on the streets preaching? Even though we call ourselves Christians, maybe someone out on the street preaching and you feel that awkwardness. You you don't want to have the attention. You try to put your head down and you go off, right? And you have some type of uh, self-righteous thought that, oh, I wouldn't do that. They shouldn't do that. That's not going to help anyone by sitting on the streets, calling out to them to repent. It's a different day. You can't get people that way. Evangelism is presented as that way as a street preacher. Someone on the streets crying out, trying to get people's attention to turn. Wisdom, like the preacher, 
But then what's the gut reaction in these moments? You want to listen to the people in the streets. You'd rather listen to the people in the markets. You'd rather listen to the people at the city entrance. But the one on the streets crying that's always there in your ear, that's cringily making life feel awkward, confronting you, you don't want to listen to. But this is the problem. Wisdom is bringing her voice, but she doesn't have the initial flesh, passionate attractiveness that foolishness does. Because wisdom doesn't appeal to your flesh. It appeals to your soul and the path of your life. Wisdom cares about the future. Folly cares about now. Wisdom's hard to listen to because folly's in your ear saying, right now I got something good for you. You're already thinking about areas of your life, the spirit bringing to you right now of the moments where you know wisdom's crying out and you're ignoring, 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 ignoring. Because right in front of your face is another voice that's, that's telling you right now though, right now though, right now though. Verse 22, wisdom is trying to save you by calling you out. Wisdom's trying to save you by calling out to you. But wisdom is trying to save you by calling you out. Well, this doesn't make it popular either. Look what, it, look what, look what wisdom says here. How long? Oh, simple ones. How long is the question? Will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Three different types of people, three issues. How long? It's like wisdom's waiting. She's begging. She's looking. I'm here. I'm calling out. How long will you continue to ignore me and love? The first one is this, simple ones. We introduced that in the first chapter, that the book was written for the simple and for the use, for those who are gullible, for those who are influential, for those who literally word means empty, their minds are empty, that it's easy to fill with stuff. Fill it quickly if you're young and if you're simple with wisdom before the demons get in there and fill it. How long will simple ones, and it says this, here's the issue. You, you love being simple. It's not that you're ignorant and you don't know and there's nothing you would do about it. It's because you love being simple. It's the point she's making. Simple ones, how long will you love being simple? Think about in our own lives, how many times we have things that we settle for to experience the, 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 the ultimate experience of life and we have settling spirits when God's trying to offer us so much more yet we're happy with just this or as long as I can have this thing then I'll let everything else crumble to the ground I think the the most clearest example would be would be alcoholism and drug use right as long as I can have that my relationships my family my job even my living situation can crumble to the ground because I have this thing which that thing should be Jesus and in the heart is something we want to latch onto and, and love it and hold on to it. But how long will we love being simple, willingly ignorant? Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, Jasper, why are you talking to us like we're not Christians? I want to embody this passage. This passage is speaking to us in this way. So I don't want to get up and, and, and soften it. We need this. How long will you love being simple? What areas of your life are you willingly ignorant? And wisdom's trying to tell you, I got something better for you. How long will scoffers delight in your scoffing? This would be like the Pharisees, right? Those who are teaching, those who are, who are vocal about what wisdom's trying to say and mocking it and making fun of it. 
Don't listen to that. Don't listen to that, that primitive flat earth believing. I don't believe in flat earth, but I'm saying the perspective of people, type of people. Wisdom is stupid. Scripture tells us that the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. So those who are going to lead the charge in teaching the world what's right and wrong, who hate God, are going to be the ones leading the charge in mocking God. And so wisdom says to them, how long, O scoffers, will you delight in your scoffing? There's literally a, a joy and a delight in the mockery of God and the wisdom of God. It's addressing wisdom's asking how long. Keep that in mind because time is of the essence here. And he says this, and fools hate knowledge. How long fools hate knowledge? The word fool, simply stupid. The problem with fools is not that they're stupid and, and they just need knowledge and then they'll take it. The issue is they hate the knowledge, so they never take it and remain a fool. I don't want to hear it. Nope, nope, nope. Ignorance is bliss. I'm going to tell you a scene. Maybe you know it, you don't know it. If you remember the movie The Matrix, there's that one guy whose mind has been open to the reality that he's living in a simulation. And he hates the reality of life once his eyes were opened to how life really is. And he wants to willingly go back to a place of ignorance and simplicity because at least there he had the bliss of not knowing how things really were. And in the movie, he ends up dying. I think a fitting example of someone who would want to be willingly ignorant and foolish. Good picture. Wisdom is trying to save you by calling out to you. Wisdom is trying to save you by calling you out, but that's not popular. It's not popular. And then he goes even further. Wisdom goes even further. She says she wants you to repent. Wisdom is trying to save you by calling you to repent. Doesn't this sound like the gospel? Calling you to repent, verse 23, if you turn at my reproof. That word turn is repentance. That's what repentance means. It means to turn. It means you're choosing and going this way. Come this way. If you turn at my reproof, rebuke the words that are confronting you, which our world hates. No one wants anything to do with, with being told what to do or being pointed out how they're wrong or being held accountable. If you turn at my reproof, but look at this comma, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. You, you know, with the whole of scripture in mind, doesn't, doesn't, the, doesn't the book of Proverbs just elevate to a place of, 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 of way much more depth than just trying to help you at work? This sounds like God talking, trying to save people. It sounds like Jesus, when he started his ministry, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is coming. Time's running out. Repent now, here. And then Jesus would go around and say, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. In the book of Proverbs, already in chapter 1, saying that only those who hear are those who have ears to hear, who are willing to hear, who do not despise instruction, reproof, knowledge, who want it, who have hearts to desire 
wisdom because wisdom is valuable to them. You continue reading in chapter one, you'll see that's then what he tries to say. Wisdom must be valuable to you. If it's not valuable to you, you won't seek wisdom. If wisdom is valuable to you, you will seek it and you will find it. You will find him. But if foolishness is valuable to you, you will seek foolishness. Wisdom is trying to save you by calling you to repent in verse 23. Behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. This is a language you can find in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, all the way up to John chapter 4, John 6. I've got promising to pour out to you things that he has for you. And in this case, spirit. I think ultimately you should be thinking how God pours out the Holy Spirit inside of you fully, 100%. But this also, I think on the surface, really has the idea of wisdom. is like, I'm here. And then who I am, how I think, everything about me, I will put inside of you so you'll be like me. But that cannot happen unless you repent. Wisdom will bless you generously if you repent. It's like wisdom's like, come on, I got something good for you, but I can't give it to you unless you repent, unless you turn from your way and go this way. You see, you see how this happens on a daily level, but also how God's using the lesser everyday experiences to point to the ultimate spiritual greater level of salvation. And again, the, here the call of wisdom is to save you. The implication here is this is a matter of life and death. Not a matter of, you know, better business deal or not. Not a matter of like, you know, making better friends or not. Like sure, you can see that in the fabric of life. If you go to read Proverbs chapter eight, that wisdom was with God in the creation. Actually, by wisdom, God created everything. And wisdom is hewn and sawn through the fabric of all creation. So it's objective. Every civilization you go into, and you know what you're gonna find? You're gonna find God's wisdom being evidenced through every civilization, no matter how primitive or advanced they are, the wisdom of God is there. She is there and she belongs to God. But her call is one that's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Her call is one that is eager. It calls us out. That's, that doesn't necessarily feel good at first. And its call is one of repentance. Turn. Now look at this. Wisdom is trying to save us, and here's the culmination. Trying to save us by calling before it's too late. By calling before it's too late. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's do that now before it's too late because judgment comes with the kingdom of God. Once it's here, it's too late. So look at verse 24. Look what wisdom says. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord and would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Wisdom's call is trying to save us before it's too late. Because here's a characteristic about wisdom's call. Wisdom's goal is prevention exclusively. Wisdom's goal is prevention. It's preventative. It's trying to 
to keep you from falling into the trap, not sucking you out of the trap once you fall into it. Exclusively prevention. That's the whole point of wisdom is that you don't have to go and learn through life's experience. And thank goodness God allows us to fail and our first sin doesn't strike us dead immediately. Even though we deserve to die immediately, God is patient and forbearing and kind to give us time to repent. But these little failures are a foreshadow of an ultimate failure, an ultimate consequence, an ultimate reaping what you sow that you do not get second chance in but God gives us all these little ones all the time that's pointing to the greater one avoid that one here's the little ones learn from here's the law which is your schoolmaster that's supposed to lead you to Christ to help you understand just how much you need Jesus yes you are sinful and I'm helping you understand just how imperfect and how sinful and how lost and how broken how utterly helpless you are without me and every single day of your life is wisdom trying to use life to help you see that. But, but wisdom is wonderful because wisdom comes and says, you can learn through counsel. You don't have to learn through experience. It doesn't have to be that way. I find it very interesting when I hear someone say something like this, man, my testimony's boring. I don't have anything, you know, I didn't kill someone in the past. I wasn't coked out on drugs in the past. What well, didn't have some huge fraud deal where I went sent, you know, I stole a bunch of money. I didn't, you know, some type of horrible thing that makes us go, wow, look what, which is beautiful. Look what God did for this person, which is wonderful. So you're saying you actually heeded wisdom and walked the path of wisdom that kept you out of trouble. And somehow that's not wonderful. And you want to complain about your testimony? Of a God in heaven who's saving someone who doesn't deserve it from the inside out, quickening their spirit and making them alive, making something dead come to life. And then your, even your life before that, just a proof of the effects of wisdom on your life, because more than likely you had parents who spoke to you and protected you from the call of sinners, and your life actually is proof of the wonderful life saving work of wisdom in your life, and that you want to complain about it? Never again. You exalt what God's done in your life through the prevention of wisdom. And wisdom ultimately is trying to prevent the ultimate death from coming to you. Look at the heart of wisdom. Because you've called and refused to listen. Stretched out my hand. Ignored all my counsel. Would have none of my reproof. It says here verse 26. I will also laugh at your calamity. Now, I know immediately when you read that, you're thinking, wow, God and wisdom are cruel. Let's keep things in perspective. So let's start there, read the rest of it, and and be honest about what's really happening here. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, meaning that rarely do fools get to see what's coming, coming. And you look at the full culmination of scripture that terror is gonna strike the world like a thief in the night. Then they will call upon me. Then? You see, the reality of the poetic nature here of wisdom taunting and laughing is because this is true. When you see anyone who ignores wisdom time and time again, and then when it's too late, call out, it's like the first thought is like, really? Now you're calling? Now is the time? 
It's ironic to the point where it's laughable. And look what wisdom is, look what wisdom is doing. It's doing the same thing that the scoffers and the fools did to wisdom, laughing at them. But, but it's not necessarily that wisdom is actually laughing or God is actually mocking. It's the reality of any time one of us falls into something and we fall into the, our own mess and we had the warnings time and time again and we knew we shouldn't do it, the moment that happens, it's like the advice is taunting us, is it not? Imagine what it would be like to actually, your whole life, time and time again, hear this gospel message come up. It's like you can't get away from it. It shows up everywhere. Everywhere you go, all over the world, it's like this gospel message to turn to Jesus and repent is everywhere. Imagine what it would be like to, to, act, to reject it, to die, and then actually face the calamity that every single one of these moments was trying to prevent you from and you willingly chose to get away from it. How taunting that would be. How frustrating that would be. Death is not the fate of fools. It is the fault of fools. You hear this? Death is not the fate, it is the fault. So let's answer this question, why? Why in the world would anyone not listen to this wonderful call that's only trying to help and save? Why in the world would you not listen? Well, verse 24 says this, because they refused to listen. And was a refusal to listen. Verse 24 also says, no one has heeded willing ignorance. Verse 25 says, they ignored all of my counsel. Verse 25 says, they would have none of my reproof. It's like, it's pushing away. I want none of it, can't stomach it, get it away. Verse 29 says, they hated knowledge. You see it on the screen, black letters, because this is Proverbs 1-7 coming out. Now he's starting to show why people will not listen to the cry of wisdom. They hated knowledge, and look at this next one. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. Verse 29. The Proverbs is, Solomon presents it in verse 7, and the whole rest of the book is proving it. And throughout the rest of the book of Proverbs, you can see the fear of the Lord coming up time and time and time again, as we saw in the first sermon, coming up all over the place. Verse 30, where it says again, they would have none of my counsel. And then it ends with this, verse 30, they despised all of my reproof. You know, it boggles my mind, and I understand because people are lacking knowledge, because they're in a foolish mind state when they're trying to judge God, that someone would say, God, if God's so loving, why would he send people to hell? God doesn't send anyone to hell. Everyone willingly jumps into hell. Everyone sends themselves to hell by their own choices and their refusal to listen to the message. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine a child, a son, running to the edge of a cliff to jump off to their death. And the whole time, the mom and the father are running and jumping at the child's feet, trying to trip them and stop them, get in front of them. They get pushed out of the way the whole time with tears, screaming and begging, trying to keep this kid. And the kid runs and jumps off the cliff to their death. And the parents are sitting there in horror. And then you who are watching, observing, say, why did you throw your kid off the cliff? You how stupid of a, of a conclusion that would be? 
But yet we have God here who shows up and he's chasing us and pursuing us. All of us who deserve to go to hell. All of us deserve it. To go to hell would in no way be unfair. It would be fair. Yet God gives us time to repent and he puts wisdom everywhere in the streets and it raises its voice amongst the other voices and begs and shouts and calls and says, come this way. I'm doing everything I can, giving you the message, trying to prevent this disaster. And then the disaster strikes and then some person with a PhD and a British accent who doesn't believe that God created everything says, why would God send people to hell? And arrogance, but also foolishness, ignorance, they don't know. But they willingly choose to be ignorant. God is the one who's the hero here. God is the one who's trying to prevent. God is the one who is providing the way of salvation. People willingly jump into destruction. It's like a parent who's trying to do everything he can to help their child, but yet you cannot make them You cannot force them from being foolish and doing things that could ultimately kill them. But what you can do is influence. You can call. You can keep wisdom there. And you can keep it before them. And sometimes they have to go and learn from their own experience. And you pray that that experience allows them to continue to live afterwards so they can learn from it. And God gives multiple, multiple, multiple times. Why would anyone not listen? It's because fools hate and despise wisdom and instruction. So let's bring it home a little bit. I want you to think about your life right now. Is there someone in your life who's actually kind of being like wisdom? They're calling to you. They're, they're bringing a reproof. They're willing to actually wound you with truth, a confrontation. Actually, there's a proverb that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy will multiply like those people who actually don't love you are just gonna come around and butter you and try to make you feel better for everything. Never ever call you out, never check you, but sit there and try to gas you all the time. Just like, hey, here you are, you're great, you're wonderful. Those, that's not a true friend. You have someone in your life who's actually trying to rebuke you at the expense of the friendship. You better hold on to that person and never let them go. Are there people in this room right now who are trying to speak to someone and you know you can think of it right now, the people who are coming alongside you to actually say hard things to you and you're trying to resist it. If your hand's out and you're trying to resist it and pull away, Proverbs 18.1 says, the one who isolates himself, the one who, who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. That's a sign that you're on the path to foolishness. Someone's in your life trying to say, I see something about you and I want to come in and help. You let them, you hold on to them, you shower them with hugs and kisses, you be patient with them and you let them into your life. And if you let them and you actually want to hear what they have to say, regardless of how painful it is, that's a sign that you are on the wise path. You are wise. Wisdom is winning in your life and you will, as we're going to see, reap the benefits of that. So verse 31 and 32, look what wisdom is trying to save you from. It says here, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Verse 32, for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. You see how Proverbs is just another uh, piece of the pie coming at a different angle to the ultimate message of scripture. 
Look, look, fruit of their own way, right? So, and fill of their own devices. So again, this is the fault of people who fall into foolishness. This is what they wanted. This is what they chose. This isn't some magical fate that befalls them. And then look, wisdom is trying to save you from being killed and being destroyed. Death and destruction. How about this? New Testament says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Actually, these last three verses feel like uh, the New Testament is culminating those. The wages of sin is death. Boom. Here's the wages of sin, verse 31 and 32. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Read verse 33. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Wisdom is trying to save you from ultimately death and destruction. The death and destruction of your physical body, but also the death and destruction of your soul, which never dies. But whoever listens. The scripture has these moments where the word but comes into transition and it is wonderful. But whoever listens, you hear wisdom? Whoever listens, look, to me, will dwell secure, be at ease, without dread of disaster. This is actually a theme in scripture where God is trying to give his people the promises that disaster will not befall them. And so God goes out of his way to say, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. You read the book of 1 John and you see that John is trying to say the one who fears, fear has to do with judgment, but the one who fears has not been perfected in love. For perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with judgment. That's not a statement of, of, of like, a, uh, that's not a rebuke. That's an indicative statement that God is over time growing you and perfecting you with his love because he wants to remove that fear of disaster. He wants to remove any thought that if you're his, that you're going to fall under his judgment. No, I'm trying to remove that from you. Actually, the book of Hebrews reminds us that the goal is that when we stand before him, we'll not shrink away. Like God's trying to work and move in your heart and, and, and solidify this, this uh, truth in you so that when you think of him, it's not like this. Not like an abusive father reaching for the salt and pepper shaker that makes you jolt and you, you project that onto God because maybe you're imperfect parents. God's saying, no, 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 no I don't do that. I want you to not dread disaster, but whoever listens to me, that's what I'm gonna do. They're gonna, they're gonna dwell secure. That's a promise. You can also see the example of it in everyday life. Those who follow wisdom, it seems like life is just easier for them. Dwell secure, be at ease without dread of disaster. Because it's not necessarily, the disaster doesn't matter. Right? Because the irony is this, those who are foolish think that nothing will ever bad happen to them. And those who are wise seem to be the ones who worry about things happening to them. And God's like trying to reverse it. If the fools could be scared of the disaster that's coming, they would become wise. And if the wise could hear the promises of God and the promises of the gospel on their life, then they would, be, they would actually find victory over their anxiety that they have for no reason. This is the gospel at work. The salvation of wisdom is everywhere and it calls out to us. So the big question 
that we should leave here today with is this. Are you listening? I know I'm talking primarily to brothers and sisters, so I know for you to even be here, to be willing to bring yourself here to even hear this preached, there's already wisdom at work in your life because you're willing to sit under this. You're not rejecting it, but, but people can still show up with their bodies and reject it with their hearts, and that's prevalent amongst us as well. But maybe there's someone here you know you've never, ever heeded wisdom and you've never started following Christ who is wisdom personified. Today is the day because there is a too late time. There is a repentance that is impossible to obtain at a certain time. You must repent now. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Do not Wait, you get right with God before terror comes upon you, disaster strikes, calamity comes, and it's too late. Repent. Heavenly Father, God, you know exactly what we need. Father, you know even my struggle to tone the message down. And your spirit saying, no, we need the reproof, even being able to to, to, to accept this message is a sign for us of the wisdom we're on, that we would let you into our heart. We'd let you search us. We'd let you bring to our mind the things that we're trying to hold on to, and we'd hold it to the light and let you eradicate it, and we would get on our knees, and we'd ask you to forgive us and ask you to remove these things from us that keep us in foolishness. And then, God, we would allow you to take our feet out of the mud and put them on a solid rock on a firm foundation, and, God, save our life. Would you make us these people ever? Every day we need you. Help us to never fall away from Jesus, to give up on him. He has done everything for us. He's lived the life we could not live, and he died on the cross willingly, though we mocked, though we gambled over his clothes, and he still said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And patient with us every single day through all of our transgressions and sins. And you bring your gospel to us that breaks our heart, brings us to a place of contrition, till we look to you in confession and we say, God, forgive me, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And you look down and you forgive. Father, make us these people every single day of our life. And for the person here that's not that, by your spirit, save them, Father. Save them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.